Thanks, team. I want to introduce our storyteller for the day. His name is Gordon Bell. And uh, what an interesting young man he is. He's the son of a missionary um, to India. And, uh, and for that reason and many others, he's a true third culture kid. Uh, he's a world traveler. He's lived everywhere. He's done every which job you can imagine, including, I've heard, saving the mariners. So you are relevant here, my friend. Uh, and uh, I've also experienced a little bit of this, but I heard that you have the ability to connect to just about any human being on the face of the planet. And so you are a remarkable creature. But more than any of your accomplishments or skills, the greatest gift you've given to us is Kendra Gill. This is Gordon, Kendra's dad. Come on up. Good morning. In the fall of 1965, I was a sophomore at Seattle Pacific, and I was looking through the freshman picture handbook. The guys referred to it as the hustler's handbook. And I got to the K section, and there was, bammo, a picture of this beautiful, blonde girl, woman, Mary Curdy. And, uh, and uh, shortly thereafter, we went on our first date. Uh, and we got into a, now this was pre-Gloria Steinem and now, we got into a discussion about the equality of men and women. <laughs> that was my first in a lifelong lesson, which includes my role of taking out the garbage, of the relative relationship of the power of women and my role. We are now in two months into round 49 <laughs> with three adult children and their spouses and six wonderful grandchildren. So God is good and we've been blessed. Imagine in 1950, a young Cauc a Caucasian couple from the Midwest with four boys ages two to six dropped down in the middle of the dusty plains of central India just north of the great city of Hyderabad. Everywhere we went there were crowds of people interspersed with water buffalo, cows, goats, pigs, and chicken. Everyone was dark-skinned, different, uh, wore different dress, spoke different languages. Some smoked little hand-rolled uh, cigarettes called beedies. Others, smoked, uh, others chewed big wads of uh, pond, a betel nut, which turned their mouths red. When we went shopping, we would always draw a crowd. And uh, people would join around to see these white boys that had arrived from outer space. Some of the tiny old ladies, who even when I was only six and seven were shorter than me, would tweak our cheeks and they would talk loudly and vociferously about uh, 
where these boys had come from and how could their skin be so white. While our parents learned Telugu, one of the major languages of the subcontinent, I began to learn to speak to friends I made in the local village with pickup games of football, soccer, or, or a stick game called Kabdi Kabdi. If you want to know about that, ask me later. Needless to say, my language ac acquisition skills as a child was different than, and faster than formal classes for the adults. I can remember one day um, earning a disgusted look at, from my father when one of the villagers asked him why he couldn't speak properly like his son. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was a look I earned for infractions on more occasions than I want to report. Back to school day was dreaded. Despite the exciting uh, two-day train trip to our mountain boarding school, it meant going, down, uh, going away from home for months at a time. One time, as we hauled our trunks and baggage to the railroad station a mile and a half from our home, over rugged dirt paths, we, uh, early in the pre-dawn darkness, we, we were suddenly jolted out of our confidence that the train would be late because we saw the light off in the distance of the steam train coming with whistle blowing, and we all said, wow, the train's on time, and we started running and, and uh, desperately and breath, uh, breathlessly got to the railroad station, uh, only to discover it was yesterday's train. <laughs> No problem, we got on the plane with yesterday's train, rather, and with today's tickets, and with hardly a, uh, a moment to say goodbye, we're swept off towards boarding school. Life was like that, constant surprises. There was no easy way to get anywhere. Stuff always broke at, at the most inopportune time. Almost nothing worked as intended. Every job was difficult without tools or resources needed for the task. No electricity or running water made daily life hard. Illness were, uh, lurked at every meal. Prayer was a constant before, we, during, and after just about everything we did. Somehow, goals set got done. For example, one day we drove many miles over dirt uh, cart trails for an evangelism meeting off in the forest of the Adilabad Hills. After meetings concluded that evening, we packed up the equipment and materials in the trunk strapped on the back of our Model A. We hand cranked the engine. I don't know if any of you remember cars that old, but we actually used to crank it like this to get it going uh, after, uh, and discovered that the headlights didn't work. So after prayer and some scratching of heads, it was decided that I would uh, sit on the front of the car between the, the uh, hood, the, the bonnet, and the fender with a flashlight. <laughs> and uh, it was a long trip, so it was, we had some moonlight, and Dad would knock on the, the um, windshield to let me know when to shine the light so we could save the batteries to make it home. It was a long, uh, loud, and uncomfortable ride. But today, 60 years later, there are 300 churches in those villages in the surrounding uh, uh, hills of Adilabad. Many lessons learned in those early years have shaped my life. 
When you are a minuscule minority, you quickly learn there is more than one way to think about and understand the world. And there is more than one way to get a job done. This insight may not be shared by your spouse. It, it is possible to be 100% right and be dead wrong. You, you have more resources than you think. Disasters are often not the end, just a turning point. Insurmountable challenges need more prayer. God's kingdom is far larger and more diverse than we can take in. God loves and sent his son to die for all people. Illiterate, powerless, and poverty-trapped people still deserve respect, know what they know, and have good ideas about how to deal with their adversities, and their lives will be transformed by his love. God doesn't ask us to succeed. He just asks us, in obedience, to try. Little steps can be multiplied and cover great distances. One of the last things my father said as we look back over his life just before he died, in quotes, my biggest accomplishments I didn't have much to do with. God and others did most of the work. So in the face of insurmountable challenges and a calling to bring the love of Christ to the people of India, it would have been easy for him to say, impossible. Why me? I don't even speak the language. True India today is still mostly Hindu, but there are more free Methodist Christians now in India than there are in the United States. And the church is flourishing far more today than it was when missionaries were there. Today, my, my history has come full circle. One of my great privileges is to be working to support Umri Hospital, where Dad chaired the board for 15 years. Umri reaches out to tens of thousands of people living in those villi many villages in the surrounding forests. We, we have new tools of advanced healthcare and economic development and church planning to bring God's love and hope to people who have little hope. The principles haven't really changed, though. Love and respect are still at the heart of effectively connecting with people so they can hear and respond and understand the gospel. Each of us can make a contribution to the kingdom. Small though it may be, God will do his part in multiplying our contribution. You will see in the early part, you probably shouldn't sneak during the sermon, uh, in the chapter we're going to read to, uh, this morning, Often all Jesus asks us to do is to fetch the few loaves and two fishes uh, at hand and let him go to work. The little boy's mom made him lunch as a good mom would do. He contributed his lunch and here we are 2,000 years later where they've been memorialized in history and we know about them. This morning our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from John chapter 6, verses 32 to 40 in the New International Version. I'm instructed by you that I'm supposed to smile and wait four seconds. <laughs> Jesus said to them, 
Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father, Father's will is that everyone who comes, who looks to the Son and believes in him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Gordon. One thing I have realized with working with the children in this church and then remember about myself as a young person is there is a magical age where you believe everything an adult tells you. I think it's a brief period, but it is a good period. So when I was about four or five years old, I was over at my best friend Leanne's home for dinner. I should mention that Leanne was 41 years old, married with children. We were having dinner, Larry, her husband, Leanne, her two sons, and me. As I was sitting there in my tutu, eating the lima beans on my plate, Larry looked over at me and said, good job eating those lima beans, you know. That will help you grow facial hair. <laughs> Unsure if Larry had forgotten that little girls do not desire mustaches, I quickly stopped eating my lima beans, and I believed him. To this day, I am not a big lima bean fan. This gullibility wore off, though, as I entered middle school. It was then that adults did not know anything and I was a skeptic of all things. My parents' motivation for doing things seemed impure. I saw their boundaries and rules as a way of destroying my fun rather than protecting me and showing me love. My mom told me on my 13th birthday, Elise, I will always love you. I will not like you again until you are 18. I doubted a lot during those years of my life. I used to think that I had something hideously wrong with myself about my physical appearance that no one was willing to share in order to spare my feelings. So on a daily basis, I would ask my friend and my mom, swearing to them that they had to tell me the truth, and I would give them a series of questions about something that it could be. I wondered if my head looked too big for my body if my eyes were too far apart or too close together, if my hands looked like they belonged on a man's body, 
The list went on. Finally, my mom said one day, all right, I'll tell you something that's wrong with you. I went and sat down and said, okay, I'm ready. Tell me. She said, you have awful morning breath. Probably the worst I have ever smelled in my entire life. Annoyed, I stood up and said, that's stupid. That doesn't count. As I stormed off, I remember her saying, it is really bad. <laughs> During this time of life, I had had a hard relationship with my stepdad. We were pretty different people, and we butted heads a lot. I often doubted his love for me. Sometimes I would talk to my mom about it, and she would always say, Elise, you have to remember all that he does is out of a deep love for you. Remember him teaching you to ride a bike, going to all of your sporting events, buying you things I would never. You have to remember when you have trouble believing. Terry does these things because he loves you. This is the message I think Christ came to share with the world. God does everything out of a deep love for creation. And when we had trouble believing, he sent his son so that we might have something to remember. In our passage this morning, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, as Gordon said. This account is a bit different than the others recorded in the other Gospels. It is in this account where it is Christ himself who distributes the food to the people gathered. They are in awe of Jesus and believe him now to be a prophet. Knowing that they will want to take him by king, as king by force, Jesus retreats. Between what has happened here and what happens in our passage this morning, Jesus walks on water, and a crowd of people are after him. And when they find him, he calls out to them. They seek Jesus to perform another miraculous meal, for they are hungry. And he tells them, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. The crowd asks, what must we do to do the work God requires of us? Jesus responds, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. After saying this, the people request a sign for them to believe. Apparently, Jesus being baptized and the heavens parting and God speaking wasn't enough, nor turning water into wine, calling out the Samaritan woman and knowing her past, healing the official son or healing the man behind, beside the pool, or then feeding the 5,000 with two loaves and five fishes, or five loaves and two fishes, this wasn't enough. Those gathered say, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What will you do? This is where our scripture passage this morning picks up. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven of Jesus's I am statements in the book of John. This phrase, I am, is the declaration that God makes to Moses in the burning bush. It is where God is saying, it is I, it is God. 
A commentator noted that all of Jesus's I am statements in the book of John express Jesus's relationship to humanity and declare him as the son of the creator. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Jesus calling himself the bread of life, as one author puts it, means that he is the source of eternal life for the whole world. And he uses this metaphor because he knows his audience. The hearers knew about how God provided for their ancestors in the wilderness, how God heard their cries and responded to their physical need for food. Commentator Scott Schaff said, thus Jesus's opening assertion of being the bread of life is made in the context of God's provision for the covenant people. Jesus himself is the provision of God for life. The verses just beyond our morning reading are rather graphic. Jesus states, unless you eat my flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus' words were hard for the people to believe. And I find them hard to believe at times. That middle school, high school skeptic in me comes out. And I can relate to the crowd who grumbles against Jesus. This is the very reason I believe we are called to remember. The book of Deuteronomy tells us, only be careful and do not and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget what your eyes have seen and what your ears have heard. The people standing before Jesus have already forgotten about the miraculous good he has done, about this miraculous meal they had just eaten the day before, and they doubted. When life gets hard and the unexpected happens, and God does not perform the way we expect, as Pastor Julie talked about last week, we are tempted to doubt. She said we are quick to accept the blessing and quick to forget what God has done. Sisters and brothers who travel to Guatemala and come back to tell us of the good God has done, I urge you, hold tight to those memories. And church, hold tight to their testimony. For you will find yourselves in the middle of November mired in schoolwork and responsibility, and you will temporarily forget all that you have experienced. So be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget what your eyes have seen and what your ears have heard. We all immerse ourselves in the daily rituals of life, and we often forget of the deep love the Father has shown to us in the sacrifice of his Son, so that we may have life and life in the full. We complain about our hunger and desire food that spoils, and forget 
the one who satisfies is Jesus Christ. This is why Christ calls us to the communion table, to remember. We remember the Christ who walked amongst humanity, who sought out the broken and healed them, who redirected the lost and put them on the right path, the one who spoke truth and challenged those who misrepresented God. Jesus, who willingly called himself the bread of life and gave it up for our sake, all out of love. We come to this table to remember we are forgiven. We come and we share in a common loaf and a common cup because we need each other for this journey. And we are unified in our common need for the salvific work of Jesus Christ. We come to remember that God is love. And believing in Jesus Christ leads us into a fuller, richer, and more meaningful thing than anything this world has to offer. We receive the bread of life at this table. And we remember we live in a world that needs this meal more than any other. We remember that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, we worship you this day because you are God and we are not. Forgive us of the times we doubt and fail to see your redeeming work in this world. Have mercy on us when we place our human limits and expectations on what you are able to do. Lord, help us to remember, you have engaged each of us from before we were born, knitting us together in our mother's womb. You know us better than we know ourselves. Let us not follow the folly of this world that will only leave us hungry and thirsty for more. May we fill our lives with your son, Jesus Christ, believing in his promises and truth, so that we may hunger and thirst no more. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, that we may be your people and bring unity and peace to a world in desperate need of it. As we come to the table this morning, let us remember that we stand forgiven in grace, mercy, and love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to turn from our sin and live in light of the gospel truth. As we eat the bread of life and drink the cup of the new covenant, continue your good work in and through us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.